This episode of Armchair Explorer is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. With seven drive modes, the Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. And epic journeys is what we're all about. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Hey guys, welcome to the Armchair Explorer, where the world's greatest adventurers tell their best story from the road. My name's Aaron Miller, I'm a travel writer, and this episode we have a really special guest. She has an amazing story, she's incredible, she's an inspirational woman, and oh my god is she gutsy. I hope you're ready to cross an ocean in a rowboat, because that's exactly what we're about to do. And believe me when I say it is as insane as it sounds. Are you ready? Let's go. Taking us on this adventure is world record breaker Kiko Matthews. She is the fastest woman on earth to row the Atlantic. She faced huge storms, huge waves, huge physical and mental challenges, as well as a surfing whale that may or may not have winked at her. Turns out when you're alone in the middle of the ocean, your mind can play a few tricks on you. But that's only half the story. The really impressive thing is Kiko was diagnosed with a brain tumor just a few months before she set out. That alone would have floored most people. It was life or death. But it didn't stop Kiko one bit. This is a story about determination, about survival, about ridiculous amounts of mental strength and self-belief. And it is one hell of an adventure. So... If you enjoy this episode, please connect with Kiko. She has a book out about her experience. It's available on Amazon in the UK and direct from her publishers elsewhere. It's called Kiko, K-I-K-O, How to Break the Atlantic Rowing Record After Brain Surgery. And her story is literally one of the most inspiring I've ever heard. Just search it up on Amazon.co.uk or head over to Polpero Press. That's P-O-L-P-E-R-R-O Press to buy it directly. I'll also link to all this on the episode page of the website, of course, too. Her social media is at Kiko Matthews. That's with two T's, the Matthews. So check that out. Her Instagram is awesome. And her website is kikomatthews.co.uk. So we're just about to set off. But before we do, remember, if you're enjoying the show, please help support it by spreading the word. Leave a review. Tell a friend. Hit that follow button on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen. Connect with me on social media at Armchair Explorer Podcast across Instagram and Facebook. And if you can, I'd also love it if you would sign up to the newsletter at armchair-explorer.com. But don't worry about that right now, because we are about to row across an entire ocean. It's an incredible story. You're going to love it. But first, let's hear a little bit more about Kiko's story. The idea was that I was going to move to London. I was going to find the love of my life. I actually had been engaged and got disengaged when I was quite young and I've been single ever since and I thought if I go to London obviously that's where all the sexy pop men live I wasn't sleeping was so excited about life was doing lots of training and then one day I woke up with spots all over my chest I then had a funny taste in my mouth I was drinking water and I hate drinking water so it was a bit odd that I was like constantly sipping water to get rid of this funny taste I got a funny feeling in my legs um, I hadn't been sleeping Anyway, mum was on the internet and she was like, oh, I think you've got Cushing's. So I went to the doctor and lo and behold, that's what I had. This particular type of Cushing's is caused by a pituitary tumour and it pumps out a hormone which then releases huge amounts of cortisol. Cortisol is like the stress hormone. So every part of your body is basically being affected by 
super high levels of the steroid hormone. It was a real severe case in the sense that normally Cushing's are a really long, drawn-out process and no doctors can diagnose it. But because I had everything and I had it quite severely, quite quickly, it became very obvious what it was. So I was very lucky in that sense. But at the same time, because it was so rapid, it was quite a like instant, you're staying in hospital and we're going to get this sorted as soon as possible. Lots of people live with it for like years. But I went in two and a half weeks later after all these tests and they go up your nose and drill in and take it out. So it was quite serious. But because I was a bit psychotic, and I lost my short-term memory as well. So the whole kind of process is a bit like, oh, this is like fun. You know, this is exciting rather than, oh my God, I'm dying. The pituitary is a small pea-sized gland at the base of your brain. It's called the master gland because it controls almost all the hormones your body produces. And that tumour was affecting her physically, but also psychologically. She talks about the psychosis she was suffering. She was losing her memory, losing touch with reality even. She's making light of it, but it was incredibly serious. They had to drill up her nose, for God's sake. She nearly died. But that whole traumatic process taught her something incredibly important, and it's something that helped her get across the Atlantic in record time. I realise, she writes, that worrying was a waste of time. I had no control of the situation, so what was the point? The energy I saved meant I could use what little I had to help keep me alive. Worrying is a waste of energy. I had my illness, Cushing's, in 2000 and nine and i'm on my second chance at life so i've got i kind of came up with the the concept of living and giving um and didn't really know what i wanted to do mooched around in africa and set up a paddleboard charity which didn't really work the joke is is that there's always me chasing a man (laughs) um in amongst all of this story so it's not really quite i just have an idea it's more like i fancy that person so i'll come up with a job or an activity or a challenge or something based around that um and I always fail at the man not necessarily at the challenge I guess it was a bit of sort of self-discovery although I wasn't purposely on a self-discovery journey but that kind of came along with it parents were probably like what the hell is she doing she's in her 30s and she's still single and uh hasn't really got a proper job and mum said one day I saw a program on Prince Harry he'd be a great boyfriend for you I think he'd be so great for the royal family and I was like Oh, yeah, not a bad idea. How am I going to get his attention? And I think at that point, I kind of felt like I wanted to challenge myself. I love the outdoors. And I also wanted to educate people on the environment. But I needed to have a bigger voice than the one I'd got at the time. So when mum said about Prince Harry, I was like, awesome. Why don't I row the Atlantic and I'll go for a world record and I'll raise money for one of Prince Harry's charities. He'll hear about me. He'll meet me. And I think I'm the best thing since sliced bread, obviously. And we'll get married and live happily ever after. That obviously didn't work. I don't know. I think probably I think I've done better off without him. But it turned out that my crazy thoughts and my overconfidence about, you know, I was kind of the sixth woman to ever attempt it. I was going for a world record. I never rode before. I've never been to sea. You know, why did I think that that was doable? That is either the best or the daftest reason to row across an ocean I have ever heard. Not for the adventure, not for herself, not even because she loved rowing. She'd never even done it before. She did it to marry a prince. And just as an aside, I'd also like to say she'd probably give Meghan Markle a run for her money any day. And if it sounds like a fairy tale, well, it kind of is. But like all fairy tales, there was something lurking in the shadows. The training consisted of 
erg rowing, which I'd have like some program that someone put me on, which was absolutely super dull. And I'm really not into dull exercise at all. Um, going out on the boat and learning about the boat, learning about navigation. And then slowly I'd go further and further out down the river until I was out in the sea or doing a little journey up the coast. I lost my anchor one day, which was a complete disaster because I had to row for 19 hours. Then there was like gym sessions and cycling pretty much everywhere rather than walking. I was in London, so kind of got quite used to London roads and cycling about to meetings and to talks. And basically I rocked up to meetings sweaty and then sports kit. And I was like, well, I'm going to row the ocean. I don't want to turn up looking all smart and whatever. I am who I am. So that's that's how it was. I was doing super amazing in terms of like strength and my rowing. I did a marathon without really that much training, which is 42k on the erg. And I was having a meeting with someone while I was rowing and I'd had some very alcoholic tiramisu at 10 o'clock in the morning, which I hadn't kind of realised. So I wasn't really paying much attention. And I came eighth in the world for women all times. And then I did another one, again, which I barely kind of took much interest in. And I came second in the world for all women for that year. And it was a bit like, oh, I'm really strong. And I remember cycling past this heavily clad mammal, middle-aged man in Lycra, going up a hill in Brixton. And I overtook him. And I, I remember him looking at me as I to say, like, who the hell are you in your, in your sports kit and your mountain bike? I was just, like, cruising past him. That was in sort of April. And then in May, mum was like, oh, I think you should go back to the doctors. And I was like, oh, well, just keep her quiet. Okay, off we go. Went to the doctors. And I had been getting up, like, at four in the morning and doing some amazing paddle boards. And my Instagram account was just amazing. One of the things I get is really creative. And I can I just see everything in completely differently. Because I think it's part of the psychosis. And I also get really strong. So went to the hospital and said, look, I don't know if you remember me, but I was here eight years ago. Oh, yes, yes, we remember you. I've got Cushing's, it looks like, again. Can we just have a, you know, a scan and stuff? But the thing is, I'm rowing the Atlantic in eight months' time. So we kind of need to be a bit quick. So I need to get it out, and I need to recover, and I need to be ready to go in January. Yeah, that's Kiko. Not, oh, my God, I'm going to die. I've got a brain tumour. Oh, my God, my row across the Atlantic might be slightly delayed. Do you think you could just stick that drill up my nose again? After all, why worry? Worrying is a waste of time. But that's easier said than done. Because it was so severe the first time, it clearly looked like this one was going to be faster and equally as aggressive. And who knows how quickly that four millimetres to six millimetres would have been. And I was in hospital for three days rather than a month that time. I actually cycled to my operation, which everyone thinks is hilarious. But I was like, well, I was cycling yesterday. Why would I not cycle today? I wasn't allowed to cycle home. My mum said, she said, I'm putting my foot down. You're not allowed to cycle home. Next two months are a bit wobbly up and down because you're then on medication and you're having to regulate your hormones whilst you're training, whilst you're recovering and all that sort of stuff. And then after two months, I said, well, maybe I'll put it off for another year. And a friend of mine said grow some balls woman get on with it you'll be fine so I was like okay I put the phone down and then I started again cracked on and it was actually totally the right idea she cycled to her brain operation and if it wasn't for her mum she would have cycled back too no wonder she cruised past that bloke in Lycra and finished eighth in the world for rowing marathons after no training in a dodgy tiramisu Kiko is as tough as it gets But the reason why she is, the real reason, is not her physical fitness, which she is. She's incredibly fit, obviously. The real reason she's able to do these incredible things against the odds is her mental fitness. She doesn't just train her body. She trains her mind, too. 
we exercise to get fit. You have to train your brain to think in a certain way. But I just remember mum, when I was ill the first time, sitting by my bed, like, with this forlorn look on her face and, like, I was dying. And I was like, can you stop looking like that? Because there's nothing we can do about it. All it's doing is stressing you out. And I would be draining myself of the energy that I need to recover or to stay alive when I'm totally out of control. What can you do? There's nothing you can do. If you've got a tumour, worrying and controlling situations is a complete waste of time because it's not going to change the situation you're in. It's just going to change the way that you are in that whole time process when you're waiting for the outcome. So the outcome is going to happen regardless whether you're worrying or not. Mental training. Just think of it as your six-pack for your brain. There are lots of different things you can do, practices you can do to help with that. But Kiko's point, I think, is that it really all comes down to three words. Just let go. There are so many things that we don't have control of in our life. Stressing about those things that we can't change doesn't give us control over them. It gives those things more power. It feeds them. And we might know that, but living that, feeling that for real is much harder. Kiko's illness, not knowing if she was going to live or die, awakened something in her. It showed her that truth. And now she lives by it. And it got her across the ocean. Just let go time for the adventure to begin. This episode of Armchair Explorer is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on earth. And Pathfinder, that's a pretty cool name, isn't it? Because that's also what this show is all about. Exploring, getting off trail, having adventures, finding your own path and living life to the fullest. Sound like you? Yep, sounds like me too. Which is why I'm so excited to partner with Nissan. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has seven drive modes, available intelligent 4x4. It's got the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds. So go ahead and bring all that gear with you and lots more. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder, a vehicle built for adventures everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. We went for a week down to Gran Canaria. I was with Angus, who was my weatherman and router and sort of trainer for a week, ironing out any issues with the boat, etc. Then mum and dad and my sister came to hang out. Uh, by this time, I was like totally ready to go. You sort of like, there's only so much training you really want to do. And you kind of raise the money and it's just like, I just got to go. I just want to go and, you know, get the excitement over and done with. So I rode off, said goodbye to everyone, see you later, which is like totally weird. Bearing in mind, you've never really left the coast of the UK in your boat before. It's not quite like rowing a an ocean where you've got no land and you've got no one to support you or help you and you've got this unknown length of time that you're going to be at sea so I rode off massive winds on their way but you're kind of in the the wind shadow of the island when you first come out so you're you're all good say goodbye an hour and a half later I'm like oh it's time for my medication and so I took my medication I was like oh shit my other stuff which is my growth hormone has to be kept in the fridge and I'd left it in the apartment (laughs) that I've been staying in so I had to turn around and go back cleaner found it in the fridge and had delivered it conveniently to the pub so I had to go to the pub and I actually had a pint and some fish and chips 
Can you imagine? Tearful goodbye on the shores of Gran Canaria. Mum, dad, sister, her weatherman Angus was there too. An entire film crew. She paddles off into the horizon, the start of the biggest adventure of her life. And then a couple miles in, she's like, oh shit, I forgot something in the hotel room. I'll have to nip back. And then she might as well have a pint and some fish and chips while you're there, right? So she set off again after that, truly on her own this time, and just paddled away from the dock, heading out to sea. And she wouldn't stop paddling for another 3,000 nautical miles. But then three days later, the storm hit. It's probably a bit like going on a roller coaster ride where you're shitting yourself a little bit, but it's quite exciting at the same time but it also feels incredible because you're like flying and you know you're rowing and you're just going so fast and yeah i got to the top and i thought oh and it was a pretty cool sight like you're suddenly your horizon goes from being you know that far to that far you look down you're like this pit of foam where you know a previous wave has like crashed and you think oh god i got to get down and there's another one coming they always come in three so there's like three of them which were pretty big like way bigger than any of the other ones Everyone talks about 40-foot waves when they're doing these, you know, I'm rowing this many strokes with 40-foot waves. And I was looking at that, comparing that to a London street house with an attic conversion. I was thinking, that's a lot bigger than a little house in London. Is my door shut? Yeah. Am I tied on? Yeah. I haven't got time to get a life jacket on. So, you know, well, what's the worst that can happen? You'll die. That's the worst thing that can happen. And let's face it, that is literally the worst thing that can happen in any situation ever. Waves bigger than a house. The largest were 80 feet tall. She talks about bobbing like a cork in the midst of this huge tempest. Winds just railing against her, rocked on all sides. Monster waves steaming over the top of her. She was completely and utterly at the mercy of the ocean. All I could do in that situation was make sure the hatch was closed, bring the oars in and just see if I could position my boat in a certain way that might help. I mean, in that, I didn't really know what I was doing. So that was basically all I could do was that and just think about the great life I'd had. If I capsize and I die and I hit myself on the head, at least I'm going to die doing something that is you know, challenging myself and doing something which is raising money for charity. I'm living my life and I'm not going to know about it anyway. If I make it, then great. And if I like, smash my boat up, I need to be rescued, then it'd be a good story. And I also had a little, like, sorry sorry to God for not praying 27 years or whatever it was. But if you are up there and there's such a thing, then now would be a really good time to, like, help me out. But luckily I survived. Tell the tale. You don't want to capsize whatever you do. The boats are specially designed to right themselves in the event it does happen. But here's the thing. You might not. In order to survive a storm like this, she has to paddle like mad, constantly adjusting her direction and the way the boat is facing in order to hit the waves at the right angle. She can't just crawl into the cabin, close the hatch and hope for the best. She has to be outside with no cover. So if the boat does capsize, it's going to right itself. But she's going to be in the ocean, tethered to the boat. But in a storm like that, it's not much of a lifeline. And what made it all the more terrifying was that she was alone. I'd stand up and I'd have a look around and just think, this is so crazy. I haven't seen anyone for days. I haven't seen a boat. There's no one here. Like, how I've ended up here, I'm not quite 100% sure. There was a point where the closest person to me was in space. Once in a lifetime, a human gets that opportunity. If someone was going to rescue me, it'd been quicker to parachute off 
space station probably than get a boat. Come and get me. It must be a strange feeling, an incredibly humbling feeling, to be absolutely cut off from the rest of the world, surrounded by thousands of miles of ocean on all sides, just endless blue. It must feel so small, so vulnerable. I can almost feel the panic. But it would be beautiful too, and it was for Kiko. There were days when she would just sing at the top of her lungs. Days when the sunrise would stun her into silence. She talks about finding her rhythm, her joy in the simple movement, in the freedom, in simplicity, in the silence of watching the stars at night. But she wasn't completely alone. So I saw some whales. One whale come up to the boat, and in my head, whether it actually happened, I don't know. I'm sure it came out, looked at me, and winked, and then carried on. It might have. I looked it up, and whales do blink. Plus, they're very intelligent, and who's to say? In the middle of the ocean, one comes across a young lady on her own. They wouldn't throw her a cheeky wink. But flirtatious or not, getting hit by a double-decker bus-sized cetacean is no joke. I had this one when I was rowing. I was like, "That's a really dark thing in that wave over there," and it was like coming straight for me. You can just see this big dark matter. And if a whale hits your boat, you're a goner. Some cool experiences with the dolphins diving and jumping, and you know, flapping their tails and. They like cruised with me for ages. I had lots of little fishes that would come and hang out with me. I had this bird, which it's amazing how incredible a seagull is when there's nothing out there and you see a seagull. You're like, oh my god, there's a bird! How exciting! I had a storm petrel, which is apparently quite a common experience. Joined me on like day two, and every day it would come and visit me and do a little circle in my boat. And then on the last day, but one, the penultimate day, I didn't see it again. Mum says that it was my granny who said she was going to look after me when I crossed the Atlantic and died in the June before I left,、um, which was very sweet. Whether she would have done much to help me, I don't know. Like if it all gone wrong, but it was—I did enjoy waiting for my little mate to come and hang out. I'd spent my whole time like scouting for sharks and whales. Like always, you do. Is that a whale? Is that a shark? It'd be like the tip of a wave or something. People do have experiences where sharks literally like come up the boat and nose their boat. One of the things, one of your, one of the daily chores is to get out of the boat and clean the bottom of the boat because you grow these like crustaceans on the bottom. I remember the first time I did it, I was like so panicky, and I, you know, you get under there and you scrape and you come back up again. Some places you've got six kilometers of depth below you, and you imagine if you're under there and something suddenly just turns up. Like getting back into the boat is not a quick, you know, run in and shut the door. You've got to figure out how to get back in. So yeah, seeing that. Sharky makes you realise <laughs> you are a little bit vulnerable when you're out there. No, thank you. Six thousand feet of blue abyss beneath you. I get freaked out in the deep end of the swimming pool. I could not handle that. But they were good days. She would cool off in the heat by jumping in the ocean. She saw phosphorescence at night. The ocean itself sparkling like stars. Each oarstroke, a comet of lights trailing behind her. Glowing jellyfish, like strange alien creatures, would float past the boat. At one point, she even got attacked by a school of particularly clumsy flying fish who were clearly not expecting a rowboat in the middle of the ocean. But she'd been at sea for three weeks now, and she still had more than a thousand nautical miles to go. She was physically exhausted, rowing relentlessly, two hours on, sometimes only thirty minutes off before picking up the oars again, every single day. But more than that, she was mentally exhausted, wiped out from blazing midday suns, lack of sleep, and calloused hands. And her illness 
was starting to take effect too. It got boring as well, mentally boring, and just days would drag. And because I was on medication, I'd had my operation, I think was part of the issue. I'd kind of been feeling a bit seasicky for two and a half weeks, hadn't really been eating that well. So the cortisol is your stress hormone, which helps you respond to mental and physical stress, which is obviously probably one of the more mentally and physically stressful experiences of one's life. Um, and the doctors were like, well, we don't really know how much medication you need. My pituitary gland's not producing that. I'd have to take it artificially. So they know on a normal day, but they were just like, oh, I'll just take four times as much. That will be enough. But no one actually genuinely knows that as your body is like consuming the cortisol, you're obviously topping it up. And because it's stressful, your body's needing it for repair and this and that. So I've got no idea about the input and the usage, what the levels were. Um, so at about week two and a half, I think it probably was three, I think my body was just like, oh, God, the 12 hours of rowing a day, medication may or may not be working at the level it should be working the mornings I'd wake up and I'd be like I just can't move my body I just can't get out of bed I'm too tired there was a day where the wind was going in the opposite direction so I was rowing kind of 15 nautical miles a day and going nowhere close to Barbados which was like so painful and that was kind of one of those points where I said look Kiko you all you can do is your best and row you can't control the weather just you know chill the hell out and stop thinking about stop willing the winds <laughs> the winds aren't going to like respond to your request but these nothing days were also incredible because you got not a ripple on the water and you just got these sort of like gentle swells coming and you row at night time so you get the opportunity to see the amazing stars and uh, you could just hear this sort of and I had like dolphins cruising on their way to Barbados like either side of my boat and you just kind of think you know that is a pretty that's a pretty cool experience she battled through the middle, she battled through her illness, through the monotony, paddling day after day, but the scenery never changing, just endless ocean, endless blue sea. Some days the winds would blow and she would fly with them. Rogue waves would appear out of nowhere and try and knock her off, rolling the boat as she held on for dear life. Some days it would be as still as glass, the current would turn, and no matter how hard she fought, how hard she paddled, she would barely move an inch. But eventually, slowly, she found herself within sight of the finishing line, just a few days to go, within sight of that world record. And then disaster struck. So I lost my autopilot, which would steer me in the right direction. It's designed for a fast-moving sailing boat, not a slow-moving rowing boat. So it would overheat, it would jam and stop, and I'd be fast asleep, and I'd suddenly get this alarm that would tell me my boat was going off course. I'd have to get out in the middle of the night in these like massive seas and get my head in the thing and correct it. And that always stressed me out that there was going to be a wave would crash into the battery cabin. So I was like, I'm just going to take this off. I've had enough of correcting it and swapping it over for a new one. And blah, blah, blah. so I just took it off altogether. And I did hand steering the whole way, which is quite unusual. But at night time, I was just like, oh, how am I going to hand steer at night? So I got the ropes and I pulled them through the cabin door. And you had like a latch, so it was kind of either fully open or you could have on like aeration open, which just had enough space for the ropes to come through. So I'd go to sleep, I'd wake up and I'd look at my screen, I'd be off course. So I'd like pull it like literally a millimeter of the rudder and then I'd go back to sleep and then I'd wake up and I'd pull it back again. And so I could steer from inside the cabin while I slept. The boat would be moving in a direction that I was expecting it to, but sometimes the boat would have gone 
90 degrees it'd be nighttime so you can't i'd get so disorientated i'd be like i don't know which way i'm pointing which way i'm traveling because you can still be going in that direction but you could be going at a side angle rather than a front angle so i think i'm the boat must have like swung round when it's really windy because it's such a big cabin at the back it's very easy to flick the boat around so i think it had flicked it around and i was probably traveling at like one knot like this in these massive seas and a huge wave just crashed through that like millimeter of space and cascaded in through the door onto my electrics i was like oh my god that's like the worst place for the water to go and on the last day i was like oh my gps has gone down and then everything started going down i was like that's clearly an electrical issue and i was supposed to be honing myself in for barbados which is the one time that you need your gps and your um I actually then switched back on my autopilot so that I could accurately get to um, Barbados. So I had this sort of failing electrical system with electricity being needed for my autopilot, trying to get myself into this very specific point. So that last day was spent slightly stressing about the possibility of not actually making it. So either missing Barbados completely, I got quite a strong wind pulling me into that direction, which was great. But if I missed where I needed to be at all, that strong wind would also have been against me. And then Barbados Customs were saying, we shut at five o'clock, so if you're not in by five, then you're going to have to anchor out on the coast until we come back in the morning. So all these things that were, the electricity's gone down, I've got to make sure that I hit hit Barbados accurately, and then you've got to get in at a certain time before the sun sets. But then on the horizon, she saw the lights of the shore. She'd made it through that last night, and it was close, because in the enormity of the ocean, without GPS, it would have been easy to get slightly off course, and then the winds and waves could have just swept her away, and her record. She paddled as hard as she could, that last effort, and then the current shifted, the ocean gods smiled at her, and Kika just cruised in. It was pretty good waves, and I was kind of standing up and felt a bit like Bodicea or someone I didn't even have to row because it was just perfect weather to like cruise and be going at a good speed and I saw like a flash from the top of one of the cliffs on Barbados um, and Angus was like oh your mum and dad is standing on the end of the cliff with their mirror so they can they can see you so if you see a mirror flashing at you that's your parents it's a bit surreal the pilot boat came out to see me and I just basically talked at them for about two hours it was so painful that last two hours rowing in because you're kind of you've arrived but you've still got a two hour row to get to the port that you need to get into which was like the longest two hours of the whole journey been dying for this mojito so there's this like story of a mojito the whole way across from about day three I was kind of desperate for something cold and minty and juicy because I've had lukewarm water for however many days with no fresh fruit and veggies so I was given a mojito straight away. My dad gave me a club biscuit because I love club biscuits. It's a bit surreal, really, because you've kind of, you've dreamt of the moment of ending and then you come to end and you're like, oh, I've finished, I've done it. 49 days, 7 hours and 13 minutes. 200 women have rowed across the Atlantic. That's it. Only 18 of them have done it solo. Kika is the fastest of them all and she did it whilst recovering from one of the worst, most debilitating illnesses in the world. That must have been the best damn mojito of her life. 
And what got her through it, what spurred her on to be the best, to be the fastest, when most of us would have quit, when most of us wouldn't even have left the shore, is the fact that Kiko has maybe the most ripped mental six-pack of anyone on this earth. Every situation where you're feeling stressed, you have to stop, think about it. What am I stressed about? Can I control any of this? No. Okay, you've got to let it go. And then obviously you then end up back in that stress situation and you just have to reassess and pull yourself back. It's a bit like meditation, I think, when they say you've got to like think of nothing. And every time you then start thinking about something, as long as you're aware of the fact you're thinking about something and you bring yourself back to the Zen thing, eventually your brain gets used to bringing you back. And then the times that you're in the not worry stage becomes longer and longer and longer because you're getting better at bringing yourself away from the the stress or the control that you're trying to control because you're consciously going, what am I doing? Why am I stressed? What am I worrying about? Can I control it? No. Okay, let me just breathe. And and then 10 minutes later, you're stressed about it again. And then you have to bring yourself back. And before you know it, you get pretty good at it just being a passing worry. I'm worried about it. Oh yeah, but it's like, what's that going to do? And that's as, far, that's as stressful as a stressful situation becomes. I guess you just got to believe that it all works out in the end somehow. And like I said, there's many things in life. There's three outcomes, aren't there? There's, it goes to plan, it doesn't go to plan, or you die and you don't know about it. But basically, <laughs> that's the three things. And definitely the worrying and the controlling thing really came to light and really kind of helped, I think, on that journey. Really sort of solidified that, which I then use more and more in my day now and nothing stresses me out anymore. Control the controllables, live your life, how important like purpose is there were lots of times I used like why I was doing it which was the women and the girls at the girls schools who had supported me and were I knew were following me in that kind of community and the primary thing wasn't about getting a record but I did care about the fact that I had this crew of young girls who thought I was this amazing person doing this thing I was like oh I gotta keep going I wanted to prove to them that you can you know when you set your sights on something it is achievable but also like a massive thank you to kings and all the doctors i felt like they'd gone to some lengths to get me to where i was both the first time and the second time um and wanted to make them feel like the efforts were were worthwhile control the controllables and everything else just let go because that anxiety that worry that doubt doesn't serve us it feeds the fear it makes it grow She has this thing in the book she writes about, and she calls it Keekonomics. The essence of it, she breaks down as resilience equals resources plus energy. By resources, she means experiences, the people we meet, the lessons we learn, the places we travel to, the adventures we have. Those are our raw materials, our resources. They're what we use in life. Energy is what you do with those resources. There's a physical part to it, what you eat, drink, how much you exercise. There's a mental part to it, learning to let go, training your mind, getting that mental six-pack as ripped as you possibly can. There's an honesty part of it too. And that's about knowing who you are and not caring what other people think. Be you, 100% you. And when we get it all right, when it all comes together, we can deal with anything, even rowing for 49 days, 7 hours and 13 minutes alone across an entire ocean when you're recovering from brain surgery. I was pretty close to not making it, so this was my second opportunity. I met well, quite a few people that go, oh, you know, you're, it's almost like your near-death experience has enabled you to do these things. I'm like, why do you have to have a near-death experience to push yourself to that level when actually we're all, we're all capable 
and we are genuinely all capable. I'm like, I'm no one special. I've never read before, never been to see. I had brain surgery. Yes, I might be a bit mental, um, but everyone can be a bit mental. Why not wake up the morning and go, oh, I nearly died last night. I've got to live my life. Because that is essentially what we should be doing on a daily basis without the near-death experience. I guess it's like the treadmill that we're on. The near-death experience kicks you off the treadmill. And then the choice is, do you get back on the treadmill for another 50 years or do you go and explore everything else that's going on around you? And I think that experience does give you a little like, oh, I'm off, great. Now I've got an excuse to do things that you might not even have seen before or thought about doing. Kiko faced death head on and used that experience to transform her life in positive ways, to grow from it, to take wisdom and strength from it. But in a way, that's something we all face every single day in big and small ways. As the great Jim Morrison said, no one here gets out alive. So what are you going to do with that fact? Get back on the treadmill, live your life for them, or follow that dream, row that ocean. You can do it. Just let go. Thank you, Kiko. Thank you for taking us on this inspirational journey, 3,000 nautical miles across the Atlantic Ocean. You can connect with her on social media at Kiko Matthews. Remember, that's two T's on the Matthews, K-I-K-O. And her book is called Kiko, How to Break the Atlantic Rowing Record After Brain Surgery. I'll put the links up on the episode page along with some background photos and videos from her trip, which I'll also be sharing on my social. So please connect with me there if you haven't already at Armchair Explorer Podcast across Instagram and Facebook. Finally, thank you most of all to you guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Thank you for helping this community, our community, grow. Remember, Keep your eyes open. The world is an amazing place. And the more we look for wonder in the world, the more the wonder of the world becomes a part of who we are. Dare to be truly alive.